All right, let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for another new day, a new week, uh, for Resurrection Sundays. Um, we pray, Father, today as we think about your word and how to apply it to our families. Uh, Lord, we, we remember that we are our, ourselves children being trained by you, uh, instructed in your word and equipped to live and serve and love. So help us, Lord, to uh, think broadly deeply and personally as we consider these things. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So that will lead me to make the point as we begin to, again, talk about child training that somebody might say, well, I don't have any children or um, beyond those years or whatever. Again, there are principles that cut across the board and apply to all of us. So we're going to be talking, for example, about hierarchy um, and the fact that that is an inescapable concept. That's going to be true in the family. It's going to be true in regard to parents and children, but it's true in the rest of life as well. So there are things to to learn and glean from this regardless of our circumstances. In every system, whether it's formal or informal, there is an inevitable hierarchy, an inescapable hierarchy that emerges. You can name it or not name it, uh, it can either be a system that's defined by identifiable positions and the persons that are in those positions. That's true in a, in a government. You know, there's a president and then there's a vice president and so forth. Uh, it could be in a kid's club. Uh, it could just be among three friends. Uh, so different personalities are going to emerge in terms of leadership and leaders and followers and those kinds of things. Um, so it can either be defined in that very identifiable, formal way, or it will be defined in an ad hoc manner, which, again, will just emerge sometimes as a result of a power struggle. So let's say in a family, how does that look? Okay, If, we're, if, if we haven't clearly defined who's in charge and who's doing what, uh, the father, the mother, uh, and the children then we're just left with a power struggle. And we see that kind of situation in families often, and it becomes clear that frequently uh, there's at least one child who's figured out how to become the uh, dominant person in the system, to control the system through a variety of means. So your family is a system. Somebody is in charge. The only question is who? Is it God? Uh, Is it the husband, the father, the wife, the mother, uh, the children? Or does it change in any given moment? That's another problem, is is, uh, rotating who's in charge, depending on the circumstances. So, critical point, um, the primary duty of every child has two parts, honor and obey. That's it. It's simple. Not easy, but simple. Not hard to remember. Honor has to do with our attitude, uh, our perspective, how we look at things, and obedience is obviously uh, has to do with our behavior, has to do with what we do in regard to how we respond to the person who has uh, that position of authority over us. Ephesians 6, 1 through 3 is clear. Children, 
obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. So children have an obligation to honor and obey father and mother. From a child's perspective, father and mother are one. They're one entity. Well, I have to obey dad, but I don't have to obey mom. No. In fact, dads, you know, fathers, that ought to be crystal clear in your house. Disobedience to your mother. In fact, at our house, disobedience to mother was worse than disobedience to father because uh, it usually was going on in my absence. And then uh, so by having that support and structure and clarity in the minds of children is absolutely critical because what do children want to do in the system? Work it. <laughs> Either fly under the radar or work it or divide and conquer. I'll work mom, I'll work dad, whichever one's the soft touch, or I'll work them both at the same time or turn them against each other. Uh, so that's uh, kind of the job of children, sinful children, uh, which they all are. Notice the promise and the reason for the promise, that it may be well with you. God gave you parents because he loves you, and he gave you parents to take care of you because you're not as smart as you think you are. and You're not as equipped as you think you are. You don't know as much as you think you know. And so uh, it's that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. Obedience to parents results in blessing for the children. Romans 13, 1 and 2, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority, in this case, children to parents, resist the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. That judgment comes in a lot of forms. Uh, I think sometimes, at least I think in years past, I would think about judgment as something that maybe kind of fell from heaven in some big dramatic way. But most judgment actually comes in the fruit that's born from our behavior and the decisions we make. So uh, we get in trouble. We get in a bind. We Things don't go well for us. That's why he says, obey your parents so things will go well for you on the earth. Um. So children are to obey parents, not simply because their parents said so. Uh, I can say, well, I'm bigger than you, stronger than you, smarter than you, have more money than you. Uh, I have all kinds of things in myself that might enable me to say, and, and it is appropriate for a parent to say, because I said so, as long as there's also the understanding that what I'm saying has already been said, in principle at least, by God himself. I'm accountable to someone too. In fact, my insistence that my children obey me is, is part of my obedience to God. And, and I have to see it that way. That's why I don't get to, if my children sin, I don't get to then be sinful myself because I'm mad at them. I have an obligation to be obedient to God in my attitude. I have to honor God and obey God toward my children, even if they're not being obedient. 
And so they must not obey parents. Children must not obey parents uh, uh, that, uh, see, they must obey parents that are not so bright. Um, And what child doesn't think that he knows more than his parents at some point? And sometimes they do. They must obey parents even when they don't understand why. They must obey their parents even when their parents have sinned or failed. So, for example, a parent loses their temper and is not obeying God themselves. Um, the sins of the parents don't excuse... It works both ways. The sins of the children don't excuse the sins of the parents, and the sins of the parents don't excuse the sins of the children. I don't ever get to say, well, I sin because you sin first. I'm account, we're all ultimately accountable to God. And honor involves more than simply outward obedience. Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. Uh, Matthew 15, 8, those, these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. The Bible speaks of those who have a form of godliness but deny its power. So it's possible to to have the outward conformity while you're stomping down the hall to your bedroom, you know, and yes, I'm going to go clean my room, but I am going to complain and let you know how unhappy I am with you having told me to do so. Um, So we're to honor our parents, not because they're necessarily respectable, but because they are our parents. That's the position they occupy in this hierarchy called the family. They are in charge of me if I'm a kid. Now, the primary duty of parents is to rule and to oversee. Our children are not our peers. They're not our buddies. Uh, and therefore, we must avoid what I'll call peer friendship. Uh, they are not our equals. Now, let me, I have to always kind of clarify this. There's different ways we can think about people. I may have a child that has an IQ greater than mine. Uh, they may have more talent than me. Maybe they can sing or yodel or, um, you know, they're more artistic or whatever. Uh, so I'm not saying that they might not be superior in some attributes, but I'm talking now about the positions that we occupy. I am the father. I am the husband. I am the head of the household, even if I'm not the brightest bulb in the pack. Okay, I, Those are different questions and issues, but none of that changes the position that I hold. I've illustrated this before, talking about if a police officer pulls me over for speeding, uh, I might be smarter than him. I might have more education. I might even be a better person overall. I might treat my wife and children better than he treats his. But when it comes to that situation, he has authority over me. And I am to honor and respect his position regardless of what kind of person he is. Does that make sense? He has a position that God has appointed him to, and I am—I also have a position God has appointed me to in that relationship, and my position is inferior to his position when it comes to the traffic laws. 
And the same thing in the household. It's not a question of who's can outwit who. It's about obeying God and honoring God. We, what is man's chief end is to glorify God. And that means to glorify him in the position that he has put me in at this given time. I'm to learn the lessons of an inferior, for example, so that someday I can be a superior in position and have people under me. But I start out by myself being in that spot. Um, we honor our parents. Perhaps some parents are finding it difficult to have their children honor them because they don't honor their own parents. So how do they hear you speak about your parents? So remember, when you're, and by the way, that's true of any authority. I'll just pause here and chase this rabbit a moment. When you're at home complaining about your children's teachers or the principal or the pastor, and maybe we're worthy of your complaint, but when you do that in front of your children, even though you think they're not listening in the back seat, remember, they're always listening in the back seat. They have bionic ears. Um, and you're just talking to your wife in the front seat while you're driving down the road. They're listening to everything. And when you're undermining other authorities, don't be surprised when your own authority gets undermined. That's what you're teaching them to do. If you don't like what an authority says, then it's okay not to do it. Or it's okay to gripe about it and complain about it. That's not honor. Uh, so remember, you're modeling for your kids these th- very things. So it's not like these rules apply to them and they don't apply to you. You're a child too. You have a father, a heavenly father. And so you're to honor and obey him in the way that you oversee your children. So uh, if parents don't understand the nature of the parent-child relationship, so if you think your children are your buddies, then we can expect our children, uh, we can't, cannot expect our children to know the difference. Uh, as Abraham was the friend of God, yet he was not God's peer, so too parents are children's friends, but it is not a peer friendship. I am their father, and I should get down on the floor and play with them and laugh with them and do all kinds of things, but there, there has to be that moment. Any school teacher knows this, right? You can, you can be having some interaction, fun with the kids, but there's a moment when you say, all right, everybody, sit down, get your books out. We're, we're changing gears here. I'm in charge. I told you to be quiet. You can't be quiet. You can go sit over here or go outside, uh, go to the office, whatever. Uh, I've got to be able to be in charge. I have to be, be able to be father in, in a moment, in an instant. Um, so, um, and that's because I love them. Because if I don't do that, then I'm not in control and I'm not in charge. I'm not doing what God's called me to do. And again, I'm not talking about, uh, obviously there are, are abuses of any of these things. So somebody can be harsh uh, or, t- or too, uh, too legalistic. There are all kinds of things that can happen here. But if I'm going to be a godly man, that also involves my attitude, my heart, my love for my children. John, remember at the close of the Old Testament, one of the things that uh, Malachi said God was going to send John the Baptist, Elijah the prophet, to prepare the way for the Lord by doing what? Turning the hearts of the fathers to the children 
in the hearts of the children to the fathers. In Luke, the opening uh, in the gospel, in Luke, when the angel appears to Zacharias, and he tells him, this is what your son's going to do, John the Baptist, the fulfillment of that prophecy in Malachi is he is going to return the hearts of the children to the fathers. Uh, so that is at the center of the gospel. That's, uh, that's what is critical here is, again, the hearts of our children, and that involves our hearts being toward them. Christian parents are God's appointed representatives to speak to their children. Therefore, it is primarily God's word that we speak to them directly and indirectly. So we're not just standing up there quoting Bible verses. We do that occasionally. But it's the overall content of God's word that drives everything we do. If we were to examine the, you know, why do you have the rules you have? The overarching answer ought to be for the glory of God. Second, to implement his word and his principles, his standards. Uh, And that is the objective of what we're doing with our kids. Um, And as we've seen, as we've seen in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, it tells us that the word of God is to be where? Deuteronomy 6. In our hearts, and where else? When, where else is it present? What? In our mouths, we're to teach them diligently to our children when we rise up, when we lie down, when we walk in the way. You're to write them on the doorpost of your house, right? Basically, it's to be ubiquitous. It's to be everywhere all the time. It's to be underneath, over, around, and through. That's the, that's the, we live in a covenant, we live in a government, and the law of that government is the Word of God. It governs our attitudes. And again, not in a heart, the, the law of the Lord is given because God doesn't love us and He wants us to be unhappy. The law of the Lord is given because he loves us. And in obeying him and believing him and implementing his word is our greatest happiness. It's where joy comes. Oh, how I love thy law. I delight in it. It's as sweet as honey. This is where good things come into our families. So this isn't about oppression this is about, that's why I said something Wednesday night about obedience. I think we, because we're rebels at heart, every time we hear the word obedience, we kind of think, oh, I have to do this? No, I get to do this. The train on the tracks is when it really operates well and it gets where it's supposed to go. That's when it's the most free. Oh, I don't like tracks. They, 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 re, they restrict me. Yeah, they keep you out of the ditch. They keep you from killing yourself. They keep you from wrecking and getting stalled out. So um, in him we live and move and have our being. Remember, you are God's representatives to your children. What they know and think about God, they learn from you. Um, And while they might not always listen, they are always watching. So that's why I believe 
the youngest children can love God. Why? Because you're going to teach them to love God. Don't you teach them to love you? How do you teach them to love you? Huh? You show them and you tell them, I love you. And you teach them to say what? I love you back. Or I love you more. No, I love you more. Okay? And, and so we're te- we teach them to love us. So when your two-year-old crawls up in your lap and says, Mommy, I love you, you say, you know, you're too young to understand love. <laughs> when you're older and you can explain love to me in an adequate way, then I'll accept your profession of love. No, it's a, it's a two-year-old profession of love. Well, can you teach them to love Jesus? You know, children are born hating God, right? Little sinners, little serpents. Can you teach them to love Jesus too? So you ask the two-year-old, do you love Jesus? Yeah. Is it a two-year-old profession of love for Jesus? It is. And then they're going to learn a three-year-old profession of love for Jesus because you're going to teach them. You know what? They believe what you teach them. So teach them, and they'll believe it. That's why you have like this total control over what they believe and what they learn. Use it for their good. Um, That's a great thing. You have more control and power over your children than any other human being over, has over any other human being. I mean, governments have a lot of power, but not like a parent does over their child for such a long period of time. You have control of everything. Who they are around, what they watch, what they read, what they hear. All of that. Yes. Yes. That's right. Well, this is how we maintain the faith. This is how we pass on the faith and, and take it from generation to generation. It's how it got here from 2,000 years ago to us. There's lots of families doing exactly that. Um, and so... Um, God has delegated so much authority to parents that, has, and it has to be taken seriously. And if you take it, if you take it seriously, so will your children. Now, I think something again. I want to be really cautionary here as we go, because you can fall in a ditch on either side of a truth. And when I say authority, sometimes automatically what people think is, I, you know, yes, I am the I'm the ruler of my house. And I'm going to demand this and demand that. Is that really God? Is that how God deals with us? God's also full of grace and favor and, and affection. He's like a Bible says he's like a mother hen. He gathers his chicks under his wing. We have a lot of images that are set before us. Is God does God discipline? Absolutely. And we're going to say something about. Again, you can fall in a ditch on one side and be a harsh, 
tyrannical parent, that's a sin. And that's not going to give you the kind of children that God calls you to produce. Or you can be a wimpy, soft, uh, sweetheart baby. You don't have to if you don't want to. No, you don't have to eat that. I'll I'll make you something special. Another box of mac and cheese. Because that's all he likes. You know what? You're going to have to teach him to do things he doesn't like. He's got to be a grown-up. And he may as well get... I had that quote from T.J. O'Rourke, like, used to be thought that children should act like little adults. And like a lot of things that used to be thought, that's true. Um, you are the boss of them. And that's a good thing. You're, uh, they're sinful, which means they're selfish, and your job is to get them to be grown-ups and stop being selfish. Now, this means you have to be a grown-up first, which means you've got to do some things you don't want to do. This means uh, that you have to make them do some things they don't want to do. And then both of you have to get happy about it because it's good for you. Both of you are here to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Determine what God requires and then lovingly insist on it being done. I call it uh, holy insistence. The holiness is the part where you're gracious and kind and not harsh. And the insistence is the part where you're not wimpy. It's where you say, no, this is what we're going to do, and we're going to do it right now, and we're going to do it with joyful hearts. Yes, sir, look me in the eye. No, I said do it, and I mean do it right now. And if you don't, you're going to have a spanking. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay, get after it. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens. That will likely involve... Some tears, because sinners are resistant. Um, some of you heard this story before. Marinelle and I saw an example of this a while back at Five Guys Burgers in Lufkin, Texas. Um, we were waiting for our order to come out, and they have peanuts. Uh, you get the little boxes of peanuts, and you sit there shelling peanuts. And a little boy was getting very aggravated as he tried to shell his own peanuts, and the peanuts were not cooperating. And um, Marinelle <laughs> referred to him as a peanut boy. Uh, we were at the, a table or two over. <laughs> she said, the peanut boy there is not very happy. <laughs> so... Uh, peanut boy expressed his aggravation to his mother who uh, had a couple other kids there, but she promptly and calmly escorted him to the restroom. Uh, And when they returned, Peanut Boy got to sit at a table by himself, uh, apart from his brother and his mother. And his attitude improved dramatically. Um, I walked over and complimented Peanut Boy's mother and told her, that uh, someday he would thank her. 
And she said, thank you. So, parental authority is delegated by God, and therefore it's governed by God. We read that in Romans 13, right? All authority comes from God. So parents may not be arbitrary in their rule, but must recognize that they themselves are under the authority of God himself. I'm implementing his rules because he loves us. Um, Parents don't have the authority to sin against their children. Obviously, this, by definition, prohibits all forms of abuse. Um, And they may not require their children to sin. Uh, You can't ask your children to lie for you or to steal for you or do anything else that's sinful. Authority involves two things. It's easy to remember this, I think, doctrine and discipline. Authority involves teaching, making making the rules and instructing what the rules are. This is what's expected. And enforcement. That's discipline. Doctrine and discipline. Here are the rules. Uh, and I used to always say, look, the goal is for you to govern yourself under God. I'm going to help you learn God's rules. And then you govern yourself because I want you to be a grown-up. I want you to be able to do this without me. But in the meantime, I'm here to make sure you do. So we can do this one of two ways. You can either govern yourself or I can govern you. Um, the results, you know, will be similar. But the goal is to get to the place where you govern yourself and I don't need to be behind you all the time making sure you are. So parents, part of that really is essential to cultivate an awareness of the presence of God. The Bible uses the term the fear of the Lord. And so cultivating an awareness of the presence of God through prayer and Scripture and being around God's people and having conversations as though you are aware of the presence of God, that it's real, that makes a difference. I remember one of the, the earliest conversation I remember of my whole life I was about five years old and my mother had gone to the hospital to give birth to my younger brother and I got to sleep in the bed with my father which I didn't normally do but mom was gone and he said oh you know come on up and so we're laying in the bed talking and uh, and I remember him asking me a question and there's a great children's catechism uh, that addresses this um, which we taught our children later. And, and so our dad and I was a little more informal, but he basically was telling me, God always sees you. And the children's catechism is, can you see God? Anybody know the answer to that? Remember the children's catechism? No, but he can always see me. And that was that kind of thing is very critical in developing a sense of the awareness of the presence of God so that, so that when I'm not in the presence of my parents, I'm still in the presence of God. I'm never alone. And that becomes a governing feature of your life, of the, of the life of your children. Um, I tell young people all the time, your parents have rules, God has rules, and you can do end runs around all those rules. So until those rules become your rules you're going to find yourself sneaking around doing all kind of things you're not supposed to do and you know it 
But when they become your rules, that's when you're an adult. That's when you're a mature Christian. That's when you've reached the point of saying, no, that's not what I do. I'm a follower of Christ. So um, avoiding the extremes of authoritarianism and sentimentalism. Those are the two ditches we want to stay out of. Godly authority is gentle in manner and resolute in purpose. It's godly. It's godlike. Godly authority is not tyrannical, but like Christ, is a servant at one level. But godly authority loves the objects of the authority. I'm not just trying to get you to behave so you won't embarrass me. I want you to honor the Lord because I love you. And that's what's good for you. You require obedience because this is what God requires of children and what he requires of you. This is what's good for your children and will lead to their happiness and their success. As the text says, that they may live long, that it may go well with them and they may live long in the land. Children don't, in the long run, resist authority that is selfless and kind. Children, in the long run, do not resist authority that is selfless and kind. Now, we'll say something about the nature of the child. Children are not innocent. They are immature sinners. They get here that way thanks to us and our forefathers. Many people, most people, are excited about having a baby. But the Bible tells us to take heed and care in what we do with them after they arrive. Um, It's kind of like getting excited about a wedding and not thinking about a marriage. Uh, Getting excited about a baby and not recognizing, uh, I don't think I made the comment, when I first started this series a couple of weeks ago, we warn people raising children is way, way harder than you think, but nobody listens. And the reason I know that is they keep having babies. Or they think, well, the next one will be easy or whatever. So um, um, so we are um, we are not to despise our children, and that can be done in two directions. First, by neglect. You know, just hand them the iPad and shut them up and just stay out of my hair. You know, go do your own thing and leave me alone. So we can neglect them in that, in a lot of other ways to neglect them. But the other is, the other direction, the other ditch is by indulgence. Sweetie pie, what do you want today? What can I do for you? I'm going to just walk behind you and make sure your life never has a bump or a a difficulty. If you'll do this, I'll buy you a, you know, a toy. What can I do to make sure you're always happy? Um, you don't. Neither one of those are going to turn out well. You're not only raising adults; you're raising people to be members of communities. First, the community. First community you're the members of is your family. You want productive orderly uh, servants in your household. Now, of course, that starts with you being that. But we want everybody doing that because now the family becomes the greatest place on earth. 
to be. But then we want, remember, community is what God made the family to be, an imitation of the Trinity, the eternal communion and community of love. And you want yours to be that, so it'll spill over outside the doors of your house. So it'll be true at church, but it'll also be true wherever your people go. We're missionaries in that sense. So we should serve our children but not cater to them. Parents, God has given you children and he gave you children to do something with them. And he wants and expects you to raise godly children. That's your primary responsibility. Malachi, why did he make them one, husband and wife? In order to give God godly offspring. Uh, That's your primary responsibility. So from the start, I call on you to stop blaming others and stop excusing yourself and stop excusing your children. If you love your child, you'll do whatever it takes within God's boundaries to turn them into an adult that fears the Lord and one that is fruitful. Perhaps you simply need some instruction. Maybe you just need some encouragement. But you might also need... Some rebuke. You might need some correction. We get very defensive when it comes to our children and child raising, and we, we kind of want to hunker down and um, and we're all insecure about it, but we want to hide that insecurity and make everybody else think we've got this. And if somebody mentions something, we have a tendency to get defensive or to get offended or to tell them, you know, it's none of your business. Um, one of the things I highly recommend, and if you've got young children especially, find a family or two in the church that you respect. And nobody's doing this perfectly, but find people you respect and go to them and say, would you mentor me or us? Could we sit down and talk with you occasionally and get a check on how you think we're doing? And go ahead and hurt my feelings if you need to. Tell me what I need to hear. Um, what do you see? What do you see that I'm not seeing? That's a great use of this community. And it's got to be somebody that you know loves your children, right? If somebody loves your children, you'll accept that. If you think they just are irritated by your kids uh, or they're somehow competitive with your kids, you might not receive that as well. But if you know they love you and they love your children, then listen to them. And, and receive that perspective, that's one of the blessings of being in a bigger community. Um, if you love your child, you'll do, again, whatever it takes. Perhaps you simply need, uh, I already said that, children are both a gift and a responsibility. And so I will just say these lessons that we're going to do here over the next few weeks will not fix your child. If your child is broken or messed up, then you're the one that needs to be fixed. Um, your, your children do what they do because you let them or you haven't trained them otherwise. So, well, that's putting a lot of responsibility on me. Yeah, it is. That's where God put it. Um, so it's like a lot of other things. I've mentioned this before where somebody says, I'm struggling with this sin or that sin, but then when I press... Uh, and I say, okay, tell me about your struggle. What are you doing? Tell me the, the tools you're using 
are the weapons that you're using to win in this struggle, it gets really quiet. Because it's not really a struggle. It's, a, it's more of a concession. Oh, I have this problem, and I, I, I've been struggling with this problem for years. Really? What's the last book you read on it? How much scripture have you memorized that deal with this issue? Who have you gone to for counsel and support? Tell me about your struggle. Tell me about how you pray about this. Tell me what you and your wife do together to work on this issue. Oh, well. So in other words, you're not really struggling at all. You just gave up. And that's easy to do that with child rearing too. Well, you know, that, that one is just a wild child. Um, so um, the only way your child's behavior attitude is going to change is for you to change your behavior and attitude. So your children are growing up to be like you. That's one of the alarming things about watching our children grow up is we realize, oh, that's me. It may be a little bit more immature version of me at that point, but that's me. Um, your children will get better when you get better. And which means that you're going to have to take a long, hard, deep look at yourself in the light of what God says you're supposed to be doing and then get to work. So we've got a couple of minutes. Anybody want to chime in? Can I get an amen or anything? <laughs> um, any any questions, comments? Yes. Well, sure. I mean, if you think of a family as a team in that sense, I used to say in my house, uh, we had three children. Um, each of my children had a vote. All three of them. My wife had four votes and I had eight votes. Um, because, yeah, sure, I want to think, what do you think? What do you want? You don't get everything you want and we don't do everything you think. But your perspective is critical, it's important. We want to know that. I'm, I want to give my children a lot of the things they want, but not everything they want, because not everything they want is good for them. That's my job, is to decide which part of that is good and which part isn't. And so I can, as they might be uh, a math whiz uh, and run circles around me on that or music or a thousand other things, I still occupy the position as the head of the household and I'm accountable to God. And the most important thing I give them is godliness. Mature godliness, a model for what that looks like. Again, I'm imperfect in that, but I should be way ahead of them. Physically, you know, they come into the world and they're little babies and you're bigger than they are and you're stronger than they are and you're there to protect them. You're doing what they can't do for themselves. But that's true in other areas, not just physically, but that's true especially spiritually. Uh, we're there to 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 see a bigger picture, to understand God's Word. You can always, you don't have to be a scholar to do that. You have to love Christ to do that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you that you love us. We thank you for our families. We thank you for our children. 
Lord, help us as parents to be faithful in in this glorious gift that you've given us with our children. Help us to have our hearts turned toward them in Christ. And Lord, may their hearts indeed be turned toward us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.